Good afternoon to you all. It's a beautiful day, but it's a, it's very heavy as well, so I hope we'll be able to stay awake at this time on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, I won't go on for too long. It's great to have you with us for the final uh, talk of our retreat to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, or what it means to be a disciple today. And today I have reflected on Mary as mother and model, and that will be the focus of this final little input of our retreat. When preachers talk about the mother of Jesus, we tend to emphasize that she said yes. When the angel announced God's extraordinary plan for her, Mary said yes. She hesitated, but then she said yes. She said, let it be done unto me. And her yes changed everything. Christians have always been urged to follow the example of Mary, first among the saints. We are encouraged to say yes to God at work in our lives, yes to whatever God may be asking of us, which is what we try to do with varying degrees of success. This morning I spoke about Mary's no, and in this little reflection I just talk about Mary's yes. What does it mean for us to echo Mary's yes today? Mary is the great study in discipleship, but what are the qualities, the characteristics uh, that disciples need today? Four, I suggest, four qualities of Mary, humility, joy, hope, courage, that we need to share also. First is humility, a virtue too many of us in the church and the institutional church itself all too often neglected for long periods of the church's history. Think of some of the more colorful popes we have had. Pope Julius II, Pope Alexander VI, both in the first decade or so of the 1500s, they took their names inspired by um, Julius Caesar, inspired by Alexander the Great, secular models rather than Christian ones. A couple of years ago I read a a very powerful book by an English journalist called Melanie Reed, called The World I Fell Out Of. And it's a vivid description of what it is like to become a quadriplegic. She was an avid horse woman, and one day her horse threw her as they were taking part in a show in Scotland and she was left paralyzed from the neck down, aged in her early 50s. And she describes very vividly what it's like to go from being independent to truly dependent, needing somebody to do every single thing for her, bathe her, feed her, 
take her to the bathroom, clean up after her, all those very private things that uh, let her to know what it is like to be humble. She said, when you are utterly dependent on others for everything, you begin to not worry too much about uh, humility. You have to be humble. Take the image of God as embryo that I spoke of a few days ago. God came to us in the most vulnerable form possible, as a child in a shed of a back alley with only illiterate shepherds and goat herds to uh, offer solace and welcome. He came humble among us. And Calvary is a revelation of the humility, the vulnerability of authentic love. In her Magnificat, Mary acknowledges her own lowly status. As a young woman in an oppressed country, she was bottom of every ladder, social, political, religious, economic. As disciples of Jesus, we are aware or must be aware of our weakness, our brokenness, our sinfulness, our vulnerability, that we are utterly dependent on God. And so humility has to be central to who we are. To be humble like Jesus, like Mary, means, first of all, to live simply and in a way that acknowledges the beauty of God's creation, that acknowledges it and that protects it, that honors it. It means a willingness to listen, to collaborate, to dialogue, to let go of any vestiges of ego or control or power, to be simple. Pope Francis emphasizes that importance of simplicity by the kind of life that he lives. It means to be authentic. I always look to Father Peter McVeary as a wonderful example of what it means to be authentic. It means being accountable and making ourselves accountable. I think of Pope Francis's apology to the Chilean victims of abuse whom he had accused of calumny a few years ago, but he was big enough to apologize. Humility means ready availability, never to cut ourselves off from others, tempting though it may be. By deciding to live in the Chiesa Santa Marta, Pope Francis was not only stressing the importance of community, but also of availability to others, of accessibility. We can't retreat to our room or hide inside our convent or monastery or presbytery. It is to respond to the needs of others, to know the smell of the sheep. That is humility. Humility is also an acknowledgement of the importance of prayer. There's a lovely quote of Archbishop Fulton Sheen. He said, 
only the humble can pray, for prayer presumes we need someone and something. Prayer is an attitude, an awareness of, and a longing for the presence of God, a trust in God despite everything. Humility is an acknowledgement of the importance of prayer. Humility is a letting go. That is one of the great lessons Pope Benedict taught us when he gave up his papacy. He chose to let something go, uh, taking a decision that none of his predecessors had done in over four centuries. Something we have to do more of as we get older and more dependent, being willing to let go. Humility is being able to ask for forgiveness and having the willingness to forgive, to never let pride or stubbornness or shame get in the way. Humility is knowing that disappointment and failure are okay so long as we've done our best. My mother used to be very disappointed with our grandchildren's failure to go to Mass every week. But I kept trying to assure her that it wasn't her fault. She had done her best. And that's all that she could do. As Catholics, we have a great consolation. We wear crucifixes, not crosses. We have the figure of Christ, and we know that Christ is not just dead, but risen, and so there's hope for us. We are wounded healers. Humility is admitting our personal vulnerability, acknowledging our need for others and to support each other. Sometimes in religious life, we can retire more and more into ourselves, shut the door on others and on the world. But we need to talk about personal issues as well as church issues, not surface talk, but meaningful conversation. What structures exist to help me uh, to be my authentic self, to help me cope with the challenges of old age or the difficulties that confront us at this stage in the life of the church and in our, our religious community. Humility is a key quality of the disciple of Jesus. The second quality is joy. Mary's Magnificat is a great prayer of praise and joy. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, Mary sings, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. The first part of the Magnificat Magnificat hymn is an abundant, exuberant hymn of praise. Too often in the past, preachers and religious lived more out of fear of God than joy in God. The old severe redemptorist missioner, my predecessor, 
who put the fear of God into people more than the love of God. Long faces put people off the gospel. I love Thea de Chardin's admonition. Joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God, he said. Joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. We can experience it even in the most challenging of situations. Think of St. Francis who sought to reform the church through song, praise, gentleness, or Pope Francis who seeks to do likewise. One of the striking features of Pope Francis's letters is his liberal use of the word joy, the joy of love, the joy of the gospel, rejoice and be glad. Joy means hopeful preaching, daily good news proclamation, a trust in God despite everything. When our faith is lived from a place of hopeful joy, it will be authentic and life-giving and exuberant. It will animate all we do and say. People will notice and they will respond when we are people of joy. The third quality is hope. When the angel Gabriel announced God's astonishing plan to Mary, she was shocked, dazed, uncertain, but she trusted. She placed herself at God's disposal. She actively hoped. Even though she had her fears and worries and the crosses that pierced her soul, she hoped. By definition, the disciple of Jesus is a person of hope. We know we have been redeemed. Hope defines us. It's what constitutes our DNA. Hope is not the same as wishful optimism. Hope is faith-rooted, spirit-led. We believe the Holy Spirit is leading God's people constantly, energetically, vigorously. To be disciples of Jesus, therefore, is to be hope-bearers, hope-producers. The problem is that hope seems in short supply today and we can end up becoming negative culture warriors rather than agents of redemption. No matter how bleak the outlook may seem for the church in Ireland, for our own diocese or religious congregations, resignation or defeatism must never supplant our hope. We witness to redemption by example, by focusing on evangelization rather than confrontation or resignation or apologetics. The gospel must be always presented as good news, hopeful message. The Christian experience, Pope Francis emphasizes, is with the person of Jesus, not a series of philosophical teachings. It is an experience, not an idea, a relationship, not a line of arguments or contention. 
says Bishop Oster, a German bishop, our time demands witnesses of holiness, especially of simple holiness in everyday life of which Pope Francis speaks. Pope Francis offers beautiful examples of everyday holiness in his writing and his preaching. His words challenge how we live and the language we use, the attitude we have. We must focus on the fraternal, the sisterly, rather than the clerical. We must focus on baptism rather than orders. We must be people who smile, who radiate the good news of the gospel. Everyday example is always more effective than pious exhortation. Hope must characterize everything about us. When people meet you, listen to you, spend time with you, can they sense your hope? Can they see the joy the gospel brings you? What does your bearing say about your faith? The fourth quality is courage. Mary's Magnificat shows us a woman who is not afraid to make a strong statement, to want to upend the prevailing order of things. She wasn't afraid to speak out. She followed Jesus to the foot of the cross when so many of Jesus' male followers ran away. Benedictine sister Joan Chichester said recently that as religious, our model must be both Jesus the healer and Jesus the prophet. The popular embrace of Jesus the healer, she argues, has obscured the more radical Jesus, who challenged the status quo and the religious leaders of his time, as Mary did in her Magnificat. We live in an era that accepts half of what it means to follow Jesus, Joan Chichester says. We want our religion in a spiritual jacuzzi, a feel-good spiritual world. Chichester wrote her book, The Time Is Now, she said, because I could not bear the roar of the silence any longer. She warns that we are at a time when huge choices must be made that will um, determine the future of the world. Choice takes three forms, she says. The first is avoidance and to withdraw from the fray, which we might be tempted to do. The second is submission and passive acceptance, to not talk about religion or other issues and become part of the great enabling silence. The third choice is to be prophetic, to refuse to accept the status quo. This prophetic choice says no to anything that ignores the will of God or God's creation. The no that Mary uttered in her Magnificat. How can we imitate the courage of Mary, the courage of Jesus? How can we be courageous witnesses of the gospel in our day? Not by feeling defeated and down and out and giving up 
in the face of the challenges that confront us, but by focusing on those things we can do something about, stances we can take, no matter what our age or circumstance, such as enhancing the quality and the experience of our liturgies as much as we can, promoting greater awareness of the letters and teachings of Pope Francis, such as Laudato Si, Amoris Laetitia, Evangelii Gaudium, Gaudati et Exultati. To talk about conscience, Pope Francis reminds us that we have been called to form consciences, not to replace them. What does it mean to have a conscience today? To know the culture, be relatable, keep abreast of the language people use, be aware of trends, don't cut ourselves off, be able to read the signs of the times. Nor should we cut ourselves off from the lapsed and the collapsed. By deciding to live in the Casa Santa Marta, Pope Francis was not only stressing the importance of community, but also of availability to all. We can't retreat from the world to our church, or our convent, or our monastery, or our sacristy. Make our churches and parishes mission places of welcome and inclusion, including the use of inclusive language and acceptance of people who are on the margins or in irregular domestic situations. Promote the role of women. We need our Me Too moment in the church. So, some still want to reduce women to the state of discriminatory subjugation. Our liturgies, ministries and way of life must never be or be seen to be an instrument of the oppression of anyone. And live in a way that acknowledges the beauty of God's creation and the threats that it faces. We need to highlight ecological issues and ecological sins as Pope Francis is not afraid to do. It means also forcefully opposing racism and all forms of xenophobia. Racism continuously raises its ugly head. There can be strong traces of it amongst many of us. And finally, challenge clericalism wherever we encounter it. Pope Francis has said that clericalism is a sin that gravely damages the church. It's a stain on the church of God because it keeps people from us rather than drawing people to us. So those four positive qualities that Mary had are four qualities that we should have as disciples of Jesus today. Joy, hope, courage, and humility.
I pray that I will be able to increase those in my life. And I pray that you will be able to increase those in your life also. Thank you for being with us during the six days of our retreat. We are delighted that so many have taken time out to join with us every day. And we ask you to continue to pray for us here at Mount St. Alphonsus as we pray for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.